it's Alexis Haynes, and this is my podcast, Recovering from Reality. Today on the podcast, we're sitting down with Dave, one of the co-founders of Dopey. Dopey is, are you guys the like biggest recovery podcast or you're probably in like the top three? You guys are huge. I don't know. Are we, I mean... I think there are no big recovery podcasts. So I think we're, we're, <laughs> we're, near, we're near the top. Well, <laughs> yeah. I definitely think we have, we have the best one of all the recovery podcasts. I don't know if we're the yes. biggest one. Yes, we have the best it's one. awesome. I, I had the honor of coming on back when it was you and Chris. I'm so sorry to hear about his passing. Um, that's yeah. just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and I think that it's interesting because back then you guys were a podcast that mainly focused on telling war stories, which I love. I really love that. Um, because so often we're told not to like kind of fantasize about the good old days, but I feel like after you're in recovery long enough, it's like, it's just becomes hilarious. The shit we used to do while we were loaded. And so I loved that platform. And then after his passing, um, you kind of took a shift, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I think, you know, initially I wanted to do a podcast about uh, war stories because I knew they were funny. You know what I mean? Like, I just knew they mm -hmm. were funny. And I knew that if we, and Chris was really funny and he had crazy stories. And I just knew that, like, if we did a show about uh, the worst shit we had ever done, it would be a funny show. You know, and then it kind of just became a recovery podcast because we were both in recovery. Then after he died, I mean, I, I guess for a while, it just became basically a podcast about Chris's death. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? For, for a while, Dopey just became like, instead of the podcast about drugs, addiction and dumb shit, you know, the podcast about Chris's death. And, uh, and that was very, very difficult, obviously. And, and I think now we're, uh, we're getting back to our original intention, uh, while keeping Chris's death in the forefront. And I had another friend who died over the summer. Today's actually his mm. birthday, which is just fucking depressing. But yeah. um, I think that like the shift isn't as the shift isn't as dramatic as people would imagine it would be because our mm -hmm. show was always supposed to be a little bit of recovery and a bunch of debauchery and a yeah. bunch of just like stupid stories from daily life. And I think the show is still that there's less, you know, the, the biggest shift in the show is I get to have less fun because it's not just me kicking it around with Chris. You know, it's yeah. more like these actually proper phone calls with people I don't know that well. Yeah. So it's like it's not as much fun. There's a lot more straight interview. But um, but I, I try to get other friends on so I can just like talk shit about like what I buy at the store and stuff. You recently had on a huge celebrity, Jamie Lee Curtis. That's insane. And um, I want to talk to you a bit because I think that this this is a really important dynamic that's shifting. When you get sober in AA and in the rooms, anonymity is like top priority, right? Like everybody, um, the the program is literally called Alcoholics Anonymous. When you get sober and, and Alcoholics Anonymous, anonymity is top priority right and i understand that and it really it served a purpose back way back when when you would lose your life your career your family whatever for being an alcoholic it was so taboo and now in this day and age where there's seventy-five thousand people a year dying of addiction 
it's kind of like I felt a call to action to be out and to be proud about being a sober person because, you know, unless unless we're sharing our stories and kind of normalizing addiction, it's going to continue to be taboo. When we started doing the show, I had four months clean um, mm-hmm. and I had never managed to stay clean ever. Uh, I had a sponsor who, uh, was like, he made fun of Dopey. He called Dopey. He said Dopey sounds like Wayne's world to him, which I thought was funny. And then I, know, I, I, love I that. talked. <laughs> That's a compliment. Yeah. I, I, I thought so. I, I thought it was a backhanded compliment, but me and Chris thought it was funny. Um, yeah. but then we, I would talk to him about what he thought about, you know, the evolution of the show. Like, where was the show going to go? And, and Chris and I maintained our anonymity you know, for different reasons. I think, uh, I think probably deep down because we were both afraid we would relapse, but then mm. the past there, the reasons were Chris was studying to become a doctor and he was scared mm. that the stories he told on Dopey would risk his, uh, ability to get a license. And I just didn't want my older daughter to be able to Google our name and just see heroin addict, heroin addict, heroin addict, mm. heroin addict everywhere. And I didn't, I wanted her to like have a life free of having uh, a public heroin addict for a father. But I mm-hmm. think more than that, it was, so my sponsor said the reason that the, and, and my tradition knowledge is not great, but I'm, I think it's the 11th tradition that says that, uh, we shouldn't be in press, radio and film, whatever, whatever, something mm-hmm. like that. And he said the reason that my old sponsor said the reason they did it was because let's say you were carrying uh, the message of whatever 12 step fellowship you happen to be in, uh, and you relapse, then you are not a good example of the fellowship and it doesn't show that the fellowship works. So like, it's a very like, kind of like cautious old Jewish neurotic thing where it's like, don't <laughs> fuck it up because it could all yes. come back on you. Kind then of the thing. whole thing is going to come crumbling down, you know, and I, and I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I don't openly talk about, I'm not, I haven't been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous for many years now. Um, right. but, and I, but I respect it and I respect what, it, and an honor and I'm grateful for what it did for me in my early recovery. And so, yeah, right. I think if you're just, and that's my problem kind of with rehabs is all these rehabs that are charging you $50,000 a month to do AA. It's like AA needs to be its own thing. And the 12 steps needs to be its own thing. And in that regard, I think, you know, talking about the steps and what happens in meetings publicly should not be discussed, but talking about our own personal recovery and being in recovery and living in recovery, I think is really, really important. And so the fact that you had such a huge guest come on, I mean, that's incredible to talk about recovery. It's just, it's an amazing thing. Did you listen to her on the show? She was crazy though. She was, she was, she, I mean, I was so, I was so touched that she came on. It took me literally three years to get her to come on the show, Alexis, Mm -hmm. just so you know. It took three years of me prodding her. Um, and she came on and, um, and she was very, 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 like, very proud of her sobriety. And she took her recovery, like, very seriously and did not want to joke about anything. You know, it was mm. like, it was very intense. <laughs> it was like, yeah. it was very intense. And, and I'm more, like, uh, grateful that she came on than anything else. It was a huge benchmark for me personally to have Jamie Lee Curtis on Dopey. Yes. But, um, but 
you know, I my own anonymity is like I wouldn't even say it's important to me. It's more like I hedge my bets and I stay anonymous. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, I just feel like I'm like if I put my because I'm not a famous person. You know what I mean? If I and like even my old boss, like I still work in the same restaurant that I worked at when I got sober. And he said to me, and I was a manager when he said it to me, but he said, uh, once a junkie, always a junkie, mm. you know, and I lost my manager job. And, and like, I, I don't know that if I was publicly out as this crazy ex heroin addict or heroin addict, that I would be so hireable. I'm not sure. You know, I'm yeah. not sure if that's true. It's I think sad. People have a lot, it's the sad stigma, that we're, the stigma we're in exists. that place. Yeah. It's sad that we're still in that place, you know, where we can't see addiction for what it is and we can't see like the beautiful people underneath the addiction, you know, and and that and that we do recover. You know, I think that 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 is really my message is like that we do recover and not just recovering from reality isn't just about recovering from addiction. It's about recovering from trauma and life and the things that we go through as human beings having this human experience. Um, And it sucks because you wouldn't, if someone had severe crippling depression or bipolar, like you can't discriminate against hiring them, but you can for somebody who has an addiction, you know, problem. It's just, it's frustrating. And I get it. We're like fucking unreliable. (laughs) But no, but how could you know if the candidate suffered from bipolar? You know yeah, but I mean? is it like, fair to expect us to like hide such a huge part of who we are? You know, it's 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 a weird thing. It's like if if and when Dopey gets to be as big as I expect it to be, where I'm like driving sports cars because Dopey is mm-hmm. such an amazing podcast. I'll yes. tell everybody I'm a drug addict. I got no problem. <laughs> you know, but if it's like if it's like I'm scrambling for my next job, I don't really need the next person to be like, oh well. You were on heroin for 15 years and methadone for seven. And, you know, you yeah. used to have seizures on planes. I heard it on your podcast. Like, I don't really want, you know what I mean? Like, that's not going to work for me. You know, yeah. it'll totally work against me. And like, and that's a shame. It's totally a shame. But the other thing that you said that gets me, you know, it's sad, you know, is that we don't all recover. You know, mm-hmm. we don't all recover. You know, Chris didn't recover. Chris yeah. had, had two years when we started. He probably had just about four years when he relapsed and he, he died real quick after he relapsed. It was very yeah. fast. And like, and so many people, so many people who listen to my show to listen to Dopey, yeah. you know, like you want to, you want everyone to get better. And, and, and I, of course, I want everyone to get better, but to, and, and I pretend like everybody's going to get better. And I, I, you know, I say this because I had no conception that Chris relapsing was even possible. I had no yeah. conception of it. it. It like hit me like out of nowhere. I didn't, I did not know it was going to happen. And then it happened. And now I kind of look at, I look at everybody as a potential ticking time bomb because they, we are, mm. aren't we? I don't feel that way for me personally. Um, I, I, I'm very lucky in the, in the sense that I got sober when I was 19. Um, and so, you know, my drinking and using was a really quick, you know, like it was fun. It was fun with problems. It was problem sober. It was just like, bam, bam, bam. 
Um, and so I'm really fortunate that um, while I did have so much trauma and so much that happened in those 19 years that I've spent the majority of my adult life, you know, free from drugs and alcohol. And I don't want to discredit the amount of work that I've done. Um, I really believe that it lies in, in your spiritual practice. Um, you know, just like I believe that, that you can heal from dis ease in the body through, you know, a holistic approach, meaning dealing with mind, body and spirit. I believe yeah. that we, that we can recover. And while I say that, I also acknowledge that everybody's experience on this planet is their own and their own, um, everyone has their own demons that they're up against. Right. And so for me, I used to spend my life, all of my existence, figuring out how I can check out. And now I just love being present and checking in. There is nothing that I love more. And even though I've had really challenging experiences in sobriety where I feel like I'm dying, like physically, like I'm like, I'm dying. This depression is taking over me. I just feel like I'm, you know, like I just want to die. Like I just don't want to do this anymore. It's like, I think because of my spiritual practice, it's like in those moments, I know that spiritual bypass, aka any numbing agents, whether it's sex, food, drugs, alcohol, whatever, is only going to extend the pain. And and I understand like the privilege that I have to living in Southern California with spiritual healers, with all of the things that I'm able to have access to and to afford. And so I've had this like really profound experience and shift. Uh, I've had two life-threatening events and several surgeries in recovery. I've had to take opiates. My lung was um, collapsing. I had three blood clots in it. I was literally dying and on morphine in the hospital. And the only thing that I kept thinking was, I hate this. Get me off of this. I hate this it feeling, this horrible. It didn't feel good. No, I hated it. I hate wow. I would actually ask the nurses. I would say, please stop pushing the medication so fast. I hate that feeling of being out of control. I wow. hate it. And so that's my experience. And so I feel like there's definitely when I was, but if you ask Bob Forrest, when I first got sober, I was hardcore AA. I read the original manuscript of the big book. My fourth step with two binders full. I was a freaking, um, I shouldn't say freaking. <laughs> I was a Pacific grouper. I was the most extreme form of AA that you could get. And I would tell you right. that AA is the only way and, and, and identifying as an alcoholic and all of the things are the only way. The way I see it, like, uh, it got me clean and sober. It, it's like a great thing in my life. I think anybody who gets well in any method, I'm like, great. Mm -hmm. You know, like any anything that works for anybody, I, I applaud them. I know that if anybody ever approached me, I would tell them how I did it, you know, yeah. and um, and I'm also totally open about being an addict personally. I just don't put it out publicly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's more so like what I'm talking about. But coming out publicly is a choice um, for sure. And it's one. 
like I said, I didn't really have that choice because it was just very public the way that I got you were sober. famous. Yeah. So it's, it's different for sure. But, um, you know, I felt and carried a lot of shame. I talk about this all the time too. Evan and I moved to this very like Stepford, sub, uh, suburban community and I felt like I just had to hide it. And so when I would get invited to these play dates and the moms would always bring wine or open a bottle of wine, I always felt like just I had to make an excuse. And when I stopped doing that and I started to um, look into like what an authentic life looked like for me, it was just it was just like, I'm just going to be sober and loud and proud about it. And I am. Me too. I, I love I love. uh See, I enjoy making people feel uncomfortable, I think. So, like, <laughs> if somebody offers me a beer, I might just say, like, no, I don't drink because I'm a terrible drug addict. You know, I might mm-hmm. just, like, and go go a little further, whatever, just because I think yeah. it's funny. And, I can overshare um, just to see, like, the temperature in the room, like, where people are as, at. <laughs> as long as it's not going to, like, put anybody in jeopardy and I can, like, have fun with the person, I do it. I don't, yeah. I don't like, put... Like new, cause I have the same thing. Like I just moved to the suburbs and I'm friendly with all these, you know, moms and dads of my kids' friends. And I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable, but I do think it's funny. Like I find myself in these situations and I remember what my life was like. And I just think it's funny, you know, to have that contrast. So as a parent, I'm curious about this. So I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old. Have you been open with your older child about you know, that you're in recovery or anything like that? Or how do you, how do you plan on dealing no, with that? No. I haven't dealt with it yet. Um, I mean, I say that I don't drink. Um, mm. And she saw me quit cigarettes. So uh, she kind of, I, I don't, I, and I tell, I go to meetings, you know what I mean? So she knows that I go to meetings, but I don't tell her what the meetings are for. I'm thinking 13, 14, 15, when, when drugs become, kind of part of her life, I'll be able to tell her. But now it's yeah. too early. I just think that it's information that is not going to benefit her right now. Did you tell your six-year-old? Yeah, she knows that mommy and daddy what did you are say? in recovery. And, well, she grew up at the treatment center. <laughs> she right. grew up going and like living at Aloe for the first, I don't even know how many years of her life. Right. And so well, basically I mean, that's the a whole conversation is game. that, you know, mommy and daddy don't drink and... um you know, there's this there, we, we help other people to stop drinking as well. And we, um, you know, there's people out there that are battling with their own demon, like just not so dark, just kind of like light. Like, it's just a matter of fact, like there's people who have issues with, um, these things called drugs. But did you say that you used to, um, yeah, she, she, well, she knows that we, yeah, that we're sober, that that word is used a lot in our household. We don't drink. We're sober. I mean, um, she, my parents drink and my sister drinks. She sees it. And, um, and she actually noticed, she goes, why do people get so silly when they drink that stuff? I think that's kind of what started the conversation. And I just said, well, because it makes your brain think and do funny things when you're on it. And I said, and some people have a problem with it. And mommy and daddy had a problem with it. And so we don't ever drink that stuff. And she's like, why would anybody want to do something that made them feel bad? And I said, you know, some people really like the feeling. We don't like the feeling, you know, just. 
right. kind of lighter. See, my experience, my experience was like, I had been a, an opiate addict for many, many, many years, a heroin addict for many years. And I met, and my mother died and I met, um, my daughter's mother and she got pregnant like within six months and, uh, and I got clean, but it didn't stay. I, I wound up relapsing while she was pregnant. And, uh, and I kept using when our older daughter was, uh, a baby, you know, was very little. And, uh, her mother caught me using when she was like, not even a year old. So she left me with the baby, you know, while I'm shooting dope in our apartment. And, um, and we broke up, you know, we were apart for four or five years. We managed to get back together and have another child. And now I'm coming up on four years and my life is better. But it's so dangerous. The story is so crazy. And I do not want to burden her with it until it's time, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Isn't that a crazy story? It is. And I'm grateful that you guys worked it out and that you're able to be a part of your older daughter's life. And I think that that is just so important and just amazing, a miracle that you were able. I feel like the reason I feel like the reason I got clean wasn't for her, but it was so that I could be a, a father. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I, I could be the person that can be in her life and take care of her and provide her uh, with love and, you know, a real father, because I had a great yeah. father. Yeah. And this thing, it doesn't discriminate. I had a, um, a friend, a dear friend of mine who I grew up with and was super close with for my entire childhood. And she got addicted to heroin out in Arizona and ended up getting locked up and got out of jail. She was in a houseway, halfway house. I was just starting to do the step work with her over the phone um, until she found a sponsor there and she was going to meetings and she ended up relapsing, died and left behind her two young children who I think were three and six at the time. And it's oh, just man. so... It's just so heartbreaking. And so I don't know what's worse, like having the conversation when you're alive and there and present with them or like having to have someone tell you after. What happened to the kids? Um, so thankfully, her ex-husband um, was a very stable guy and he took the kids the entire time she was using and um, she ended up getting remarried and. He did too, and they had their own baby. And so they were kind of already a family unit. And Allie went off to prison and then got out. And they were just starting to make things work when she, you know, and that's the danger of, of relapse, especially when you're a heroin addict, is you never know how much is too much and where your tolerance is at. And that's what happened. She shot up too much. And she. Or what's in the that. fucking dope? You know, you have no idea yeah, what's you know, in the dope. Well, the, yeah. Back when we were using, or I don't know. So you said four years ago. I don't know what the climate was like even like four years ago. But back when I was shooting up, you know, you would get dope that was cut with like sugar or crap or whatever. It was black tar. We don't get good dope out here. But we weren't yeah. getting like fentanyl laced dope. No. Now it's like a no. totally different ball game, And it's scary. It is so scary to be a drug addict in this day and age. Yeah, it's, just it's a mess. I mean, that was something that was something Chris always said on the show, which was how lucky we were not to uh, have been using when fentanyl was around. Because I haven't done dope in like eight years. I, I relapsed on weed and pills, but oh, got sober okay. last time. Okay. Um, but yeah. he would talk about that all the time. And then on his relapse, he was like, fuck it. And he decided 
not to like find dope with fentanyl in it, but he just would order fentanyl on the dark web. You know, he oh. just got fentanyl. So like, that's how he was. Uh. And what's know, crazy, crazy is he was like studying to be a doctor. So he knew. Yeah. You know, he knew what he was. Rich. I mean, he just thought he thought he had some idea in his head about who he was and what he could handle or whatever. Mm. It's very infuriating to me. Like, I'm, I still have a lot of like weird yeah. anger issues about it. One of Evan's dear friends passed away in a motorcycle accident after already being in a motorcycle accident, leaving behind a two-year-old. And we all told him not to fucking ride motorcycles in on Sunset Boulevard. And what did he do? He got hit by a car on fucking Sunset and died right. on the scene. Right. And then leaving behind right. a two-year-old. And you just, I, the first feeling is like, obviously like sadness and grief and oh my God. And then it's like, well, what the fuck, man? <laughs> like, wh why? And and that's just kind of like the question of of life, right? It's just, it's just like, we don't know what everybody's path and journey is going to look like. We don't know right. when it's all right. going to end. Um, or he wasn't done. Chris, or... Chris, Chris wasn't done. You know what I'm saying? He just wasn't done. I was when I stopped using and I finally got clean this time and uh, and I got to living my life. I got to like examine what my life could look like. You know, I, the first thing I said to myself was I was 41 when I got clean. And I said to myself, I used for 41 years. Basically, I have I, my life right now is the best I could do on drugs. Maybe I have another 40 years ahead of me and I want to see what that life could be without drugs. Like, what will that life bring me? You know, and I find like the adventure of sober living for me is great. You know, I I actually really enjoy my sober life. I really enjoy making dopey. I really enjoy, you know, some of the work that I do. I love being a father. I I, I really enjoy life without drugs. I get to be my genuine self. You know, I love that. You know, and I didn't expect to. It, it's it was it was unexpected that I would enjoy it as much as I do. Yeah, you know, I always think like um, we spend so much time here on Earth, um, you know, frustrated about the highs and lows of living, and you know, and we expect it to be a certain way. And it's like if everything was just like a straight and narrow path, wouldn't it be so boring? Like I imagine that's what like being dead is like like it's just kind of like a void or going back to source or heaven or whatever you want to believe but you're just kind of like there and you're wishing you were back here having this like wild journey that's like so exciting and i wish people knew that you know like evan and i do so much sober we go to coachella every year my husband's 43 like we have so or 44 we have so much fun in sobriety and have built such a big and beautiful, fulfilling life. And is it easy all the time? Absolutely not. There are plenty of hardships, but I'm there for the hardships too. Cause it's like, what would life be if it was just like happy all the time? It would be boring. Eventually you'd get sick of it. You would be, you know, searching. For... Well, there'd be no happiness. Yeah, if it's happy it's all the just, time, there's just... no happiness because you can't compare it to anything else. Yeah. So it, it's amazing that, um, and that's what, life on drugs was it wasn't that it was happy or sad or whatever all the time it was just kind of like blah all the time you know like okay gotta go score maybe we'll go have fun at a party tonight 
and then redo it all over again. And it's like, there's so much more to life and so much worth living for. And I feel like, um, we just live in a world that's so disconnected and in a world that tells us we have to be like constantly satisfied and fulfilled all the time. And that's just like a fallacy. Right. I don't know. I really enjoy my suburban life. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, I I see you on Instagram. It looks like you're doing a lot of fun stuff. It's like you're having a good time. (laughs) You know, and you've been working at this for a long time. And so you deserve all of the, all of the praise and all of the accolades. And if there was a podcast award for recovering podcast, I would give it to you. You are like kicking ass. I mean, making it through your co-host and dear friend passing of drugs on a recovering podcast is, I mean, that's incredible. I know. It's like a fucking bullshit. It's like a bullshit irony Twilight Zone kind of thing. (laughs) Like you, you have this recovery podcast and the dude fucking relapses and overdoses and dies. But no, I mean, it, well, what was I going to do, Alexis? Like, was I going to stop making the show when like his death was really the message, you know, the biggest message, mm-hmm. you know, if I had stopped yeah. making the show, who would have known that you can get through it? You know, not to mention, yeah. I always wanted to have a show. I mean, to be selfish and to be honest, <laughs> I always wanted to have a show. Was I going to give up this show that yeah. I have? You know, I wasn't going to do that. No, but I think that um, allowing people to see those and to hear in you in those vulnerable moments is what gives people hope. I mean, that's kind of what it's all about for me is like if I'm willing to get to be vulnerable and to have the shit beat out of me for doing so, because I do often, um, you know, just the other day, um, (laughs) I got messages from people because i had surgery and heaven you know forbid i took a pain pill i had like my entire stomach cut open like hip to hip i'm like what do you expect me to do what do you expect me to do here just like suffer through it i don't understand i had a cosmetic procedure and it's like what are we Mm. we're not supposed to have cause i had a freaking tummy tuck after my second kid i had muscle separation and two hernias patched and the whole thing like right like (laughs) what am i supposed you know what i mean like everybody's got a fucking opinion but um (laughs) the bottom line is that um you know but by being vulnerable it opens it opens dialogue and it and it allows people to um to to relate you know and and that's what recovery is all about right like just sharing our stories so that way hopefully people relate and and are able to begin to question their life and their relationship to drug and out drugs and alcohol for me it's like if i can be of any help to anybody like that's great because so many people help me and um and you know the only thing i want anyone to know is like if they're addicted to something that there is joy on the other side of it you know, like, because yeah. th- there was no joy at the end of my addiction. And the irony is, like, you think you're on some adventure trying to score drugs and get high, but you're really on an adventure to make sure that you feel one way. Like, you're on this yeah. journey to control how you feel. Whereas yeah. when you give it up, you can't control anything, and it's really an adventure. Like, that's where real yeah. things can happen, and no, I think that's the on, coolest thing. When you're in the addiction, you're on a hamster wheel. 
It's like right. when you finally exactly. get off and all of these, you know, balls and of life are thrown at you and it's like you're constantly being humbled and having to surrender and 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 to let go of all of the things that you thought that you knew to kind of start fresh. There's this amazing book called Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. And it's kind of all about that, like just dropping all of the things that we think that we know that we think have been serving us our whole lives and going on an adventure to find out who we really are. Right. That's exciting. That sounds good to me. Fun. It's very exciting. It. Very exciting and very fun. Do you like doing your podcast? Are you having fun with it? For the last eight years of my sobriety, I have, you know, pretty much I've just stayed low. Like, you know, I had like, you know, 30,000 Instagram followers, I think just because of my name or whatever. But um, but I would just mainly post pictures of my kids and whatever. And then I really felt this calling to share about recovery. And, and you know, I recovered from eating disorder and drug addiction and severe sexual trauma and all of those things. And um, I wanted to talk about it and I wanted for other people to come on and to be able to share their stories and their experience and to talk about life. And it kind of, it blew up way faster. <laughs> it kind of went zero to 60 and all of me and, and my, my, uh, you know, business partner slash producer and we're are just kind of like, whoa, like we weren't expecting it to kind of jump to where it jumped to so fast. And we, we, I keep having to remind us that like, you know, we're putting, we have, we feel the pressure, but it's up to us to go. Like, we don't have to move at a hundred miles an hour right now, just because we feel the pressure to, you know, we would like recovering from reality to become a, a brand um, and, and to be able to be a resource for people who want to either further their recovery journey or start into their recovery journey. Um, etc. And I'm writing a book right now too, and doing all of these things. And it's just like, okay, I have to pace myself. I can't just go 100 miles an hour all the time. Yes, it sounds like recovering from reality will be much bigger than dopey in like a week. So that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> you have that going for you. I don't think so. I mean, I mean, dope, but dopey is is special because of you guys like i i don't know you know okay so sure we're gonna have some like big guests come on and blah 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 but it's like don't who are you ever, gonna get don't don't ever <laughs> who are you gonna well, get I'll you gonna get you, anthony I'll Kiedis tell you off, i'm gonna tell you offline <laughs> tell you offline. but, but um, people want to know that kind of stuff i i know but i don't want to say anything until it's happening Okay, I no, don't want to smart. say anything until it's, you know, like, I don't want to jump the gun here, but um, we're recording some episodes this Thursday that are pretty huge, and, and I'm really looking forward to it. I am super grateful for your time, and thank you for sharing all of your knowledge and your story with our audience. My pleasure, and uh, I can't wait to have you on Dopey again, and thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> and so it is.